I'm going to read a poem that in Russian is entitled Navagodnya, and that can be translated as New Year or like New Year's something because it's actually an adjective. So I'm, I'm going to read an English translation of this poem by a friend and fellow read Russian major, Carolyn Lamock Brickman, who's currently gone on to study Russian more yeah, than me. the true golden child of the department. Yeah, she actually is <clears throat> like the real golden child. Lily had golden child potential, but she didn't carry through. But then I didn't go to grad school. Yeah. She's scum like the rest of us. Yeah. Please. Uneducated scum. Yeah. This is written in December 1926. All right. New year. Happy new year. Happy new light. New world. Happy new edge. New realm. Happy new haven. A first letter to you in the next. The place where nothing ever happens. Barely even bluffing ever happens. Place where roughing rushing ever happens. Like Aeolus's empty tower. A first letter to you from yesterday's homeland, now no land without you, now already one of the stars. And this law of leaving and left, cleaving and cleft, this claw by which my beloved becomes a name on a list, oh him from 26, and the has-beens transformed to the unhappened. Shall I tell you how I found out? Not an earthquake, not an avalanche. A guy came over, just anyone. You're my one. Really, a regrettable loss. It's in the Times today. Will you write an article for him? Where? In the mountains. The window opening onto fir branches, the bedsheet. Don't you read the papers? And won't you write the obit? No. But, spare me. Aloud. Too hard. Silently. I won't betray my Christ. In a sanatorium. Heaven for hire. What day? Yesterday, day before yesterday, I don't remember. You're going to the Alcazar later. No. Aloud. Family stuff. Silently. Anything but Judas. Here's to the coming year. You were born tomorrow. Shall I tell you what I did when I found out about... Oops. No, no. I misspoke. Bad habit. I've been putting quotation marks around life and death for a while now, like the empty stories we weave wittingly. Well, I didn't do anything, but something did happen. Happened shadowless and echoless. Happened. Now, how was the trip? How did it tear? Did you bear? Did it burst? Your heart asunder? Astride the finest Orlov racehorses, they keep up, you said, with the eagles. Was your very breath taken or worse? Was it sweet? No heights, no falls for you. You flew a real Russian eagle. Yeah. We have blood ties. Yeah. Yeah. This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. From New York City. Yep, and New York City. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lulette. And I'm Smith. That's my 1919 name. Lulette. Because all the ladies were tiny. 
I'm just, I'm just a tiny lady. So, Smithy, yes. on this last day of 2018, what are we doing? We're reading about a poet. Not reading, we're telling. We're telling. And reading some of her poetry. And her name is... <laughs> Marina Svetaeva. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad we're finally getting to this. Finally so, getting it. We, we had never talked about doing her. You're like, how about Marina Svetaeva? And I was like, I don't know who that is. No, I, we've never talked about Svetaeva is... No, well, I just mean getting to it after the week of trying. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, we had some starts and stops because someone went to Mexico. But um, we're not going to tell you which of us. <laughs> in Mexico, you can't record podcasts. And you gone from yourself, you gone from you, no matter... No better to be Zeus-born, cast or ripped, you from yourself, from Pollux. Marble rent, you from yourself, from the earth. No separation and no meeting, just a confrontation, the meeting and the separation first. How could you see your own hand well enough to write, to look at the trace on your hand of ink, from your perch on high, miles away, how many miles? Your perch of endless, because startless, heights. Well, well above the crystal of the Mediterranean and other saucers. Everything's changed. Nothing will change. As far as I'm concerned, here on the outskirts. Everything's changed. Nothing is changing. Though I don't know how to send this extra week's letter to my correspondent. And where do I look now, leaning on the rim of a lie? If not from this to that, if not from that to this. Suffering this, long suffering this. I live in Bellevue, a little city of nests and branches, exchanging glances with the guide. Bellevue, the fortress with the perfect view of Paris, the chamber with the Gallic chimera of Paris, and further still, leaning on the scarlet rim, how funny they should be to you, to whom, to me, that they must be funny, funny from fathomless heights, these Bellevues and these Belvederes of ours. I'm listless, losing it, in the particulars, urgency, the new year's knocking at the door, what can I drink to, and with whom, and what indeed to drink? Instead of champagne bubbles, I'll take these wads of cotton into my mouth. There, the stroke. God, what am I doing here? What auspices? What am I supposed to do? This year's noise, this new year's noise, your death echoes, Reiner. It echoes and it rhymes. If such an eye as you has shut, then this life isn't life, and death's not death. It's dimming, slipping away. I'll catch it when we meet. No life, no death. Okay, so some third thing, a new one. I'll drink to that. Spreading straw, strewing flowers for the 1927th thing. By 1926, what a joy, Reiner, ending and beginning with you. I'll lean across this table to you, this table so big, no end in sight. I'll clink your glass with mine, a little clink. My glass on yours, not tavern style. Me on you, flowing together, us giving the rhyme, the third rhyme. I'm looking across the table at your cross. How many places on the margins, how much space on the edge, and for whom would the shrubbery sway if not for us? So many places, our places, and no one else's. So much foliage, all yours. Your places with me, your places with you. What would I do with you at a rally? We could talk. So much space, and I want time, months, weeks, rainy suburbs without people. I want mornings with you, Reiner. I want to begin the mornings with you so the nightingales don't get there first. It's probably hard for me to see because I'm down in a hole. It's probably easier for you because you're up on high. You know, nothing ever really happened between us. A nothing. So purely and simply nothing. 
is nothing that happened so apt. Look, I won't go into detail. Nothing, except, wait for the beat, this could be big, first one to miss the beat loses the game, here it comes the beat, which coming beat could have been you. The beat doesn't stop, refrain, refrain. Nothing, except that something, somehow, became nothingness, a shadow of something, became its shade. Nothing that is to say, that hour, that day, that home, and that mouth, oh, granted courtesy of memory to the condemned. Reiner, did we scrutinize too hard? After all, what's left? That light, that world belonged to us. We're a reflection of ourselves. Instead of all this, that whole light world, our names. Happy vacant suburb. Happy new place, Reiner. Happy new world, new light, Reiner. Happy distant point where proof is possible. Happy new vision, Reiner. New hearing, Reiner. Everything got in your way. Passion, a friend. Happy new sound, echo. Happy new echo, sound. How many times at my schoolgirl's desk, what's beyond those mountains? Which rivers? Is the scenery nice without tourists? Am I right, Reiner? Rain, mountains, thunder. It's not a window's pretension. There can't be just one heaven. There's bound to be another one, rainier, above it, with terraces. I'm judging by the Tatras, heaven has to look like an amphitheater. And they're lowering the curtain. Am I right, Reiner? God's a growing baobab tree. Not a Louis d'Or. How's writing in the new place? If you're there, there must be poetry. You are poetry. How's writing in the good life? No table for your elbows. No forehead for your strife. I mean your palm. Drop me a line. I miss your handwriting. Reiner, do you delight in the new rhymes? Am I getting the word rhyme right? Is there a whole row of new rhymes? Is there a new rhyme for death? And another one, Reiner, above it. Nowhere to go. Language is all learned up. A whole row of meanings and consonances anew. Goodbye. See you next time. We'll see each other. I don't know. We'll sing together. Happy land I don't understand. Happy whole sea, Reiner. Happy whole me. Let's not miss each other next time. Just write me beforehand. Happy new sound sketch, Reiner. There's a staircase in the sky lined with gifts. Happy new ordination, Reiner. I've got them in my palms so they won't overflow. Over the Rhone and over Raron, over the clear, sheer separation to Reiner Maria Rilke, right into his hands. <sighs> what you did want, you think? Do you want to explain yourself? I want to get your impressiones. I don't have any impression. <sighs> so uneducated. You could tell that's to Reiner Maria Rilke, the German poet, but. I also kind of always pronounce his name Rainer. Yeah. But then when I read it in Russian, it was clearly Reiner. So. But that doesn't, just because the yeah. Russians pronounce it Reiner. The Russians usually are right with pronunciation, generally. Smeet, huh? No, no, no. <laughs> Smith. That's For how real. your name should be pronounced. For real, they are. I mean, they just don't have a TH. Yeah, Smith. so how could they go around pronouncing like a lot of words because, of the globe? Because Reiner. They like, can't even say. No, I, I'm just saying, like, they could have chose between A and I, and generally, like, in my experience of transliteration into Russian, it's correct. More yeah, correct. we would have to know German to know. She probably knows because of her German-ness. Yeah, she definitely knows. Okay. Okay. Explain. So, yeah, exactly. And it's not just any Russian, it's Svetaeva. Just, okay, so the background for this is that Marina Svetaeva was living in France, in Bellevue. And 
She and Rilke, a very famous German poet, had a correspondence from May 1926 until he died in December of leukemia in Switzerland. In, in a sanatorium. In, tw- in uh, December in 26. 26. Yeah. Aww. And short-lived. Yeah. And so they, so the way that happened was basically that um, Boris Pasternak uh, was like friends with Marina and friends with Rilke and introduced them via a letter and had asked like Rilke to send something to Svetaeva that would go to him eventually, like send a letter through him. But then she like, she started corresponding with him <laughs> like, and oh. she forgot to send the letter <laughs> and, or the books that he had sent. He also sent books like via her. Yeah, because for some reason it was like difficult to communicate between Switzerland and Russia. So Pasternak wanted to communicate via Svetaeva for a minute. There's like two main things that are happening in this poem. It's one is that that the poem is participating and one is the elegy form of poetry, which um, means that, I mean, the literal meaning, the original Greek meaning of elegy is like a lament. And you don't necessarily have to write an elegy to a dead person. And Rilke actually wrote an elegy to Sotaeva before he died. This is an this is an elegy. This poem is an elegy, and it's also a letter. So it also participates in that like genre of writing. I just think like it's really notable that Sotaeva's way of writing poetry kind of like, I mean, you probably felt it's very like ecstatic and kind of, um, well, Brodsky writes about it as being, like, really high-pitched and uses, like, physical metaphors to talk about it, like, it's very high up, not in a bad way, not, like, shrieking, but a type of wail or something, like, a type of higher note, Mm. Um, and I think, like, you can sort of feel that, how it's sort of an exhausting, it, like, builds up and is, like, kind of exhausting, and she's crescendoing, but she starts really high up, so she only can go higher, it's like, ha, ha, and... I wanted to read a very small excerpt from one of her from her first letter to Rilke, just to compare the language a little bit. Um, she says, on May 9th, nineteen twenty six, she writes, Reiner Maria Rilke, may I call you like this? You poetry incarnate must know after all that your very name is a poem, Reiner Maria. That sounds churchly and kindly and chivalrous. Your name does not rhyme with our time, stems from earlier or later, has always been. Your name willed it so, and you chose the name. This is like the opening letter to this poet that she like loves and looks up to. I could sort of feel a similar tactic or a similar like way of writing in the poem where she, especially where she uses his name and at the end she like really repeats his name a lot and talks about like him, like the concept of the poet being this like holy thing like you are the sort of highest possible form or something an interesting thing that Brodsky points out about his name is Reiner Maria Rilke has the three names contain all three like grammatical genders in Russian because you have the R is the masculine and then Maria is feminine and then Rilke is like neuter neutral Mm. so it, it like and it has so many R's and it just sort of like lends itself to, she uses that a lot, lends itself to like different poetics. Yeah. I mean, I think that we should just give a little bit of background on her. Sure. So that people know. She was born in 1892. Um, she had educated parents. Her, her father was a professor and her mother was a pianist. 
and she had some siblings. Her father had two children from a previous marriage. Marriage, And her mother, who was, like, kind of shitty in some ways, like, didn't want her to be a poet, like, basically just wanted her to, like, train as a classical pianist and, you know. Weren't they really, really wealthy, or that his other wife? Or I think they were both wives were wealthy. Maybe so, yeah. The mother dies in 1906 of tuberculosis, I think, and, and Marina's 14 at the time, and she kind of gets shipped off to boarding school after that. I mean, I don't know if she felt bad about it, but she does. She gets she goes to um, boarding school in France and, like, bounces around a little bit and in the process learns French, German, and Italian. It's in 1910, when she's 18, that she self-publishes a, her first collection of poems called Evening Album, and that, like, kind of gets her attention from the, the right people, and as a result, she ends up meeting Maximilian Volotion. Volotion? Um, and, and he has a home in Crimea, and so she ends up spending a lot of time in Crimea and does throughout her life, and it's where she meets her husband, Sergei, when, when she's 18 or 19, and he's also 18. They're, like, right around the same age. And Wait, who's the guy, then? Wait, who's Maximilian? Uh, Maximilian was like her a... Her friend? No, he was, a, he was, like, maybe he becomes her friend, but he was a, uh, like, a literary critic. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, she meets Sergei Efron, who's in the army at the time, and they get married and, and have some daughters. But I have... Uh, have some daughters. I have some daughters, and they later have a son. So the main book I read was this, like, collection of her diary from 1917 to 1922. So these, like, five years where she gets trapped in Moscow, and I feel like this is a – it's a really important time because she gets – basically, she's in Crimea, not with the kids, so she has two daughters who are, like, two or three years apart, and they're really little at the time, and I guess they're in Moscow with, like, the maid or some shit or, or Sergei when the revolution starts. So she's in Crimea. She goes back on the train, and she has, like, no idea what she's going to find when she gets back to Moscow, um, which is obviously scary. Uh, she gets back. She tracks them down. Everybody's okay. Her husband's still alive. And then he ends up fighting in the White Army and is, like, gone and then escapes to Europe, and she's in Moscow, like starving with the children from 1917 to 1922. And, and one of the pivotal, it's really like horrible, some of the stuff in this uh, diary, but one of the pivotal things that happens is that she's starving and presumably so are the kids or or they're eating very, very little food. Does she describe what they eat? They're eating a lot of potatoes. Okay. Yeah. A lot of potatoes. She has a description of a shit ton of potatoes coming from somewhere and being dropped off at her work. Like a lot of like bags and bags and bags and bags she she's she gets two different jobs she's briefly working at this place where she's just like cataloging different people coming from different nations so like Kazakhs and Jews and stuff and but her writing is very like poetical within the diary so sometimes Uh it's hard to understand what's going on but in this potato example there's like a shit ton of potatoes that they've frozen because I guess they're bringing them in from the east and they're like trying to prevent them from going bad Mm -hmm. and she's describing like the mayhem of people like climbing over these like half frozen slimy potatoes to try to get the edible ones but this is the thing so she has these two daughters who while they're in, I mean, they're in Moscow for like five years, but while they're in Moscow, wait, let me check when their daughters were born. Okay, so she has her first daughter, Alia, in 1912, and her second daughter, Irina, in 1917. So right, so the the baby's like maybe six months old when the when the uh, revolution begins. And Ugh. 
so she, yeah no it's, well, it's really a civil bad. war that's what's happening it's really bad but like she's not she, there's evidence that she was pretty like fucked up and neglectful toward, especially towards the younger one she didn't have a lot a lot of love for and in the diary she describes that like how she and alia the eldest one would go out during the day trying to find food and she would leave the baby in the apartment by itself and then the baby like tipped over a thing of cabbage while they were gone one time and so she would strap the baby to a chair and just like leave the whole day yikes yeah so she ends up putting arena Why the youngest one the... that's so weird Why so she just carry her i know I, there's, there's something off about well, this woman there, there's a lot there's a lot of like people or there's like a sort of stereotype about her that um a stereotype and you know maybe reality. rumor and whatever probably related to something like that um, that she was, like, extremely impractical and not good at, like, basic things. And the part of that is that she, like, she came from a really wealthy aristocratic family and was just, like, taught to, like, do ladylike things like play piano and stuff. They're, they were really wealthy. And so she just, like, when... And that's why she was sent to boarding school and you, you don't do that as, yeah, like, a sure, plebe. Sure. And so that's why she, like, doesn't... She doesn't learn any practical skills and then she's suddenly poor. She's suddenly poor. But there... I think that's probably part of it, but there seems to be another thing where she has this like kind of ideology, which she talks about in this, in her journal or in her diary, which is like not very self-serving, you know, like she, not self-serving, right? Like maybe she's selfish in different ways, but like she's not, yeah, maybe she's like not practical about resources and she like doesn't do a good job of like hoarding resources, like what you would need to do to keep your two children. But is she like cynical? Can you give her an example? Uh, do you remember? She, yeah, there's a particular passage that I don't know if I highlighted or not, so I can't find it, but where she's talking about um, like who gives and how, and what their like ideology around giving is. And she's talking, she talks about how like rich people, uh, I think give out of like guilt or something like that, or it's, or it's to make sure that like they're okay in the future. Whereas like poor people give because they like have to or something. And she kind of has this feeling of like, Oh, well nothing belongs to me. Like it's not mine. It's everybody else's. So I just like give stuff away. Like if I have it, I give it away, which is like chill if you're the only person, but when you have two young kids, it's like not as chill. So, so at any rate, the, the, she's not able to feed the kids. So she puts them in an orphanage and the baby ends up dying. I mean, she's not really a baby at that point. She's probably like two and a half or three. Yeah. Um, but she really, she doesn't, she has a very odd relationship with the eldest one. It's very, um, dependent in some way. Yeah. She's dependent. Mm -hmm. And like she'll, do this thing where she'll write down what like she'll say like oh alia wrote me a letter but she's the one that's writing down the letter and like having the discussion with her daughter so it's hard to tell like what alia is actually saying but even when all so alia was born in 1912 like even when she's between like five and seven she kind of refers to her as like an adult and like forces her to kind mm-hmm. of take on these adult like responsibilities which this woman talked about later when she you know wrote her memoirs but I wanted to read a letter that her husband wrote because I think it describes a part of her personality. Wrote to her? No. So this is from the introduction of this book. And, and the letter was, I think, later, like maybe in the 20s. And he wrote it Wait, to... Wait, yeah. He wrote it to Max uh, Voloshin, who was the, the one who, that they met okay. because of in Crimea and everything. 
Marina is a woman of passions. Plunging headfirst into her hurricanes has become essential for her, the breath of life. It no longer matters who it is that arouses these hurricanes. Nearly always, now as before, or rather always, everything is based on self-deception. A man is invented and the hurricane begins. If the insignificance and narrowness of the hurricane's arouser is quickly revealed, then Marina gives way to a hurricane of despair, a state which facilitates the appearance of a new arouser. The important thing is not what, but how. Not the essence of the source, but the rhythm, the insane rhythm. Today, despair, tomorrow, ecstasy, love, complete self-abandon. And the following day, despair once again. And all this with a penetrating cold, maybe even cynically Voltairean mind. Yesterday's arousers are wittily and cruelly ridiculed, nearly always justly. Everything is entered in the book. Everything is coolly and mathematically cast into a formula. A huge stove whose fire, whose fires need wood, wood, and more wood. Unwanted ashes are thrown out, and the quality of the wood is not so important. For the time being, the stove, dr- for the time being, the stove draws well. Everything is converted to flame. Poor wood is burnt up more quickly. Good wood takes longer. It goes without saying that it's a long time since I've been any use for the fire. Whoa. I know. It's kind of sad. It's such a, like, allegorical letter. I know. (laughs) Like, describing his whole marriage. I know. It's so cute, though. I just, like, it's... This reading about her, like, made me feel sad that the whole, like, letter writing thing is, for the most part, done, you know? Just the just the mm. idea that there's this network of, like, poets writing letters to he's each other is so even. cool. No, he's not. Do you have any of her diary entries to read? Yeah, I can read some stuff. One, one of the things to reference is that I think it's, it's unclear to me, but I think the majority of these excerpts from her diary were by her intended to be this book called Earthly Signs that she tried to get published and failed. And so she ended up publishing them in pieces across the way and the editor of the book kind of put them all together. Okay. There's no politics in the book. There's passionate truth, the partisan truth of cold, of hunger, of anger, of the year. My youngest girl died of hunger in a children's home. That's also politics. The home was Bolshevik. Okay, here's, here's a longer one that's about her um, job. April 25th, 1919. I quit the commissariat. I quit because I can't put together a classification. I tried. I racked my brains. Nothing. I don't understand. I don't understand what they want from me. Compile, compare, sort. In each section, a subsection. As if they'd rehearsed it. I asked everyone, from the department director to the 11-year-old messenger boy. It's very simple. And the main thing is that no one believes that I don't understand. They laugh. Finally, I sat down at the desk, dipped my pen in ink, and wrote classification. Then, having thought a bit, section. Then, having thought a bit more, subsection. On the right and on the left. Then I froze. I've worked for five and a half months. That's, that, this is another example, like her quitting her job because like it doesn't, She's just like, I don't get it. Even though, like, they were fine with her being there. but And, like, you have two children. So, like, why are you quitting your job? I've worked for five and a half, half, five and a half months, two more weeks, and vacation with salary. But I can't take it. And the last three months of clippings aren't pasted up. And they're staring, then they're starting to suspect my yacht. Come on, comrade. Haven't you gotten used to the new spelling yet? The classification has to be presented by the 28th. At the very latest, I have to be fair. Communists are trusting and patient. An old old regime institution would have taken one look at me and fired me immediately. Here, I myself resign. The director, 
it's abbreviated MR, reading my letter of resignation briefly. Better conditions, military rations, and discounted meals for all family members? Faster than lightning, a brazen invention. Then I couldn't possibly keep you, but be careful. Those kinds of institutions can fall apart quickly. I'm an executive. On whose recommendation? Two pre-October party members. What's your position? Translator. Translators are needed. I wish you success. I leave. I'm already at the door, and he calls out, Comrade Efron, you'll be presenting the classification, of course. I, pleading. All the materials are there. My assistant will have no problem. Or just deduct it from my salary. They didn't deduct it. No, hand on heart, I can say that to this day, I personally haven't seen communists do anything bad. Maybe I haven't seen any bad communists. And it isn't them I hate, but communism. For two years now, all I've heard everywhere is communism is wonderful, but communists are horrid. She uses really similar tactics in all these different kinds. Like, we've now heard diary, letter, and poem. And she uses, like, the interjection a lot. You know, it's yeah. like, me? You? Yeah. And, like, it's, t- it's dialogue also, but it's also interrupting herself. And, like, she does a lot of parentheses. Did mm-hmm. you notice that? Like, yeah, yeah explaining what she's saying again and again yeah because in the poem like if you look at it it's also visually very striking because it has a lot of like dashes and parentheses and interjections and you i feel like you can hear the similar like a similar tone in all of them kind of yeah yeah Yeah. no definitely the the crazy thing about all this i mean this is the case for anybody we're talking about when it's the olden times is that she's so young when she goes back to moscow in 1917 she's 25 with three kids? Two, two kids, kids. Two kids. So, like, she's, she's doing, 35 when she writes the poem, so that's a little bit. Yeah, she's a little more established. But just the, like, being trapped in Moscow thing, it's like you're 25 years old and you have two kids. And, yeah, you grew and up in this ar- aris- aristocratic home and you, like, can't do anything. And then your daughter dies and you're like... I mean, I don't think she was like... I don't think she was really like fair. either, but, like... I mean, it sounds like... It's really fucked up, the whole it, situation. It is really fucked she, up. I don't yeah. think she, she was, like, okay. No, I don't think she was okay either, but I do think that she had a... You're just saying because of, like, strapping the kid to the... The strapping thing. the kid and the way that she doesn't... She doesn't reference that child, really, at all in the diary, well, which is I mean, suspect. The, whatever, it's a diary, you know, like, she's... I'm just saying, it doesn't, mean, like, prove that she's, like, heartless. She could just have, like, a weird... No, come on. It's not that she's heartless, but that's like really negligent <laughs> and like fucked. That's, I mean, by today's standards, that's 100% child abuse. What, tying your kid to a chair? Yeah. All day? yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Okay, because then, okay, so she's in Moscow and then she, she must, she studies in Germany also, right? Like, because I was reading that she didn't really like study so much in France. She was, Germany was like where she was. As a teen? Or maybe after. Do you well, know about that? Well, yeah, because after, in 1922, she and, she and Alia managed to make it out of Moscow, and they, she thinks that Sergei is dead, but she like somehow tracks him down. He's living in Berlin. Okay. He's not in the army anymore, I guess. So he's living in Berlin. They meet him in Berlin. Then they move to Prague, and then they move to Paris. And they're, I think they're kind of living off like whatever this, the state offers money to artists and like veterans and stuff. So they're living off that. And they're the living states that they're in. Mm-hmm, the countries that they're in, yeah. In Paris, the, at the time, there's like this hefty immigrant population, Russian yeah. immigrant population. And I kind of, I feel like we talked about this before, but she's like kind of rejected from that because 
she's like not anti-Soviet enough, even though she did write poems that were like explicitly anti-Soviet and like pro-white army and her husband's like used to be in the white army and everything. Um, she's not like explicitly political enough or something? Yeah, well, and then I, I think I told you this also, like Mayakovsky comes to Paris and she pens an open letter being like he, like to him being like, you're a great poet, I love you, et cetera, et cetera. And people really don't take kindly to that. Why not? Because he's a Soviet poet. Oh, they're anti-Soviet. They're anti-Soviet, yeah. So she's kind of like rejected. Like not, I mean, not in a social way, you know, it's, I don't think it's like... From that immigrant scene, but not by like the people that matter. Like Pasternak or something like that. I mean... It does affect, it does affect her though. Like it, oh, it prevents sure. her from like getting work and those sorts of things. So yeah, they're in Europe for a while and they have a son, Georgi. Georgi. Uh-huh. And then at some point, Sergei's like, I guess I do like the Soviets after all, and starts working for the NKVD and is implicated in killing somebody, like a Soviet defector in 37 so in Paris. Now he's a spy. On the other side. Yeah. Which evidence suggests that Marina doesn't know this. Like, she's like, oh, surprising. So, yeah, he gets, he, the the Parisian, like, secret service or whatever the police are like questioning him and he flees back to the soviet union uh and i think alia goes with him but then he gets arrested and killed yep yeah so in in 41 he's arrested along with alia they're both arrested and the son the son is with marina in no no the son the the son's young the daughter and 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 sergey are arrested in 41 and sergey is killed and uh, Alia spends eight years in prison. So Marina oh. kills herself. Yeah, so in 41, in August of 41, um, they're living in, in El- Yalabuga? Yalabuga, which is a place... The Tatar Republic. Like, a place that Soviet writers were evacuated to. Or they were evacuated to um, a place called Chistopol, but she like wasn't accepted into that community. During, because of World War II, you're talking about? Uh, yeah. So they're living in this like evacuated place. She doesn't have like any money. She her her son is now uh, fighting in the war. So I guess he's like in his late teens at least. Um, and on the thirty first of August, uh, she hangs herself and she she left leaves this note for her son who she called Mur Mur M U R. That says, forgive me, but to go on would be worse. I am gravely ill. This is not me anymore. I love you passionately. Do understand that I could not live anymore. Tell Papa and... Oh, so she kills herself before. Oh, no, no, no. After. Tell Papa and Alia, if you ever see them, that I loved them to the last moment and explain to them that I found myself in a trap. Just, okay, more about her personal life is that she had multiple, multiple relationships with women publicly... Like, they were known about, and she wrote about them, so at least they were known after. Yeah, the the main, like, work that she has besides the Tale of Sonjka, which I don't, I mean, I couldn't read it, obviously, so I don't know if it's explicit, but she has this collection of, like, a shit ton of poems called The Girlfriend that are right. about Sophia Parnock, and Sophia Parnock was, like, as much as you could be an out lesbian yeah. at the time, and they lived together in Crimea for, for a long time. Right, so if there is, like, a, yeah, an openly lesbian poet of that era russian poet that would be that would be sofia not sotayeva but sotayeva was living like a non-traditional lifestyle in the sense she she lived with this woman while being married 
had poor Sergey. What? Poor Sergey. Oh, he's fine. He wasn't really fine. It hurt his feelings a lot. I know, but she, uh, as he aptly said, needed her candling for her fire. Her hurricanes to be fired. Yeah. Do you want to talk about girlfriends, or do you want want to talk about Parnock in particular? I don't. I live together. They live together. Like Parnock. So Parnock was married to a man before they were together. And, like, had written poetry, but her her husband had, like, forced her to write a certain kind of poetry, and so it was trash. And then, like, once she and Satiza started dating and were together, like, she really established herself as a poet. Like, she wasn't um, really published before that, oh, so that's, cool. like, kind of a cool thing. There was a really... Well, no, there wasn't that. There, they were eight years difference in age. And yeah. Svetaiva was like in her early 20s at the time. So maybe the difference was more stark, I think. Parnock was older. Parnock was older, yeah. And like the experienced lesbian. The, the like true lesbian. And like yeah. after, after Svetaiva, she, you know, dated women until her death, which she also had graves. Who, who had graves? Lennon's wife. What was her name? Graves disease? Yeah. What is that? That's where you, I don't know what it is, but that's where you get the bug eyes. Oh, what you love. Um, it's not just Lennon's wife. She had her own life. And her own name. And her own name that I'm going to remember. Nadezhda Kupskaya. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Um, So she, so Parnock died pretty early, but I think their relationship was tumultuous somewhat, at least from that one like undergraduate thesis we both read. The sense I got was that Svetaiva wasn't like fully at ease with her attractions to women and that manifested in like her emotional immaturity with Parnock. But I mean yeah, it sounds like she had a lot of emotional feelings and issues regardless yeah. of the gender of yes. her partner. Yeah, yeah. Um where were the kids when she was like in Crimea? Were they in Crimea too? Not always. No, I think that they were taking care because they. Yeah, I mean, she and Sergey were like living somewhat of the high life until the revolution. But her relationship with Parnock was when? Let me check real quick. From nineteen fourteen to nineteen sixteen. So maybe the kids were there sometimes. Maybe they weren't. I just. I mean, we. I could read a little bit from girlfriends, like their translated poems by translated by that thesis person mm-hmm. no you should do you want to give her credit yeah yeah um her name is karina mccorkle <laughs> don't make fun of her that's a, funny, that's a funny last name all right so here's here's an example of like um calling attention to the whole difference in age thing um Svetaiva writes in girlfriend four girlfriends mm-hmm. four There are women. Their hair, like a helmet, their fan smells deadly and delicate. They are 30. Why? Why do you need my Spartan child's soul? This is one of those eras where, like, I secretly believe things were more... Fluid. Yeah, more fluid or just, like, more accepted in, like, a casual way versus, like, an identified way, you know? I, yeah, I understand you have reason to believe that. Yeah. Just, like... In terms of how people label themselves. Right. The, the like, intense need to label, like, kind of limits your ability to just be regular. Well, I'm looking just for the date that Povista Sonichke, the tale of Sonichke was written. Okay, so this is another piece of writing, like Girlfriends, but it's more of a tale than a poem, written by another woman named Sonia, who's not Sonia Parnock. Um, but written about, written about, what did I say? By mm-hmm. written about another Sonia. 
So the tale of Sonichka is written in... It's talking about her life in 1919, 1920. But I... Yeah, I don't know. The, the beginning part is nice because it just sort of like... Has similar themes to stuff that we've been reading. These like little dialogues and a kind of frantic interjection uh, type of writing that kind of like builds really quickly. Oh, Marina, I got so frightened then and then cried when I saw you, heard you. I immediately madly loved you. I understood that it's impossible not to love you madly. I myself loved you like that immediately. But he didn't love. Yes, but now, of course, I don't love him anymore. I love you. I despise him because he doesn't love you on his knees. Sonichka, did you notice how my face was burning then? Burning? No. I even thought, what a gentle, delicate blush. That means inside was burning. But I was afraid I would burn the whole stage, the whole theater, the whole of Moscow. Then I thought, because of him, to him, him, me, me to him, I read before everyone for the first time. And now I understand. It was a burning on the way to meet you, Sonichka. Not of me, not of you, but love, it seems, came out. Ours. That was my last blush in December 1918. All of Sonichka, my last blush. Since about then I've had that color, no color, with which it's hard to believe that I'll ever part until the last no color. A burning towards her, a glimmer of her short permanent fire. I'm happy that my last blush fell on Sonichka. So the no color thing is like a svetaya of a word. It's like one word. It's a fake word. Yeah, she made it up. It's just not color together. Okay. Um, As one word. I, I feel like this little excerpt gives a nice image of their sort of like, or at least from her perspective, their kind of childish romance of like blushing and... There's a lot of yeah, that heat. Was, that was actually one of the things that the thesis girl brought up and I feel like was brought up elsewhere was like Svetaiva's um, kind of orientation towards childhood hmm. a lot of the time. Orientation towards childhood. Not only in her romance, you mean? Romances? Yeah, but in her writing. Maybe that's like how people, some people read the like ecstatic thing. Yeah. Because it's not very, it's not restrained, basically. Right. Unrestrained. And in Girlfriends, I think she um, conceives of herself as a tomboy a lot, which is a childhood thing, obviously. It kind of reminded me of Princess Nokia, actually. What do you mean? Why does that remind me of Princess Nokia? Yeah, I'm like... Because Princess Nokia is, like, whole... One of her, like, dominant personas is childlike. Tomboy. Tomboy. No, but not just tomboy, just, like, this, like, kind of... um, setting and childhood mm-hmm. ver- versus what your life is now mm-hmm. yeah i mean like i could i can get behind that on an intuitive level oh there was also like that whole thing that like parnock had seduced her as the true lesbian right well and that she was under some kind of spell this is a letter also to Volotion. god he's really oh he was a oh, poet from her husband he was a poet also no this isn't from her husband this is from a letter from yelena Voloshina. The mother of Voloshin. Right, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Sergei Efron is again planning to go to the sanitarium, but I think that he'll change his mind again. I'm frightened about Marina. The whole thing has gotten quite serious. 
She went somewhere with Sonia for several days and kept it a big yeah. secret. All this confuses and alarms Lilia and me very much, but we do not have it. But we do not have the power to break these spells. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. People from the outside conceiving it of it's like the spell of a <laughs> feminine love, not real, of course, not just real. witchcraft. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I also props to Parnak for like having lovers right up until she like dropped dead, and she probably looked really fucked up by the end. It's mean, Lily. It's not mean. The woman is dead. How do you know she had lovers up to the end? You just you just read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I read that too. I All guess maybe the there were so few out lesbians that she kind of had an advantage. Also, her charm. Right, her charm. And buggy and those eyes. Big eyes. Buggy eyes are not like bad looking. No, that's true. They're not. Some people naturally have buggy eyes and they look good. Yeah, it's true. Shout out to Phil. <laughs> um, <laughs> remember, Phil. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, one more one more thing about the queer thing. This is also from the tale of Sonichka. The queer thing, you the queer business. Um, all right, sorry. Go ahead. To love only women for a woman or only men for a man, deliberately excluding the usual opposite. How dreadful. And only women for a man or only men for a woman, deliberately excluding the unusual same. How boring. Yeah, that's the, the line that's most quoted whenever people want to talk yeah. about... So Tayava being gay or bisexual or queer. <laughs> Lily. <laughs> Lily has her, her gold necklace wrapped around her eyes and can't get it off. <laughs> I got it. When academics are quoting. <laughs> but seriously, Sonichka. I mean, it makes sense. That's like the go-to line because it, yeah. she's talking about like a... She's saying it, folks. She's saying it really explicitly and in a pretty like probably radical way for her time. How dreadful. But you, you also think? get... Yeah, probably. And you also get the sense from that of her like kind of um, unsatiable. Her insatiable what? Sex drive? No, no, not necessarily sex drive. It just reminds me of like her husband being like, "You just have to keep throwing logs in the fire." Uh, it's like uh, you have to do it all boring. the. T- you have to feed it, yeah, all the time. Yeah, and I like feel like there's. It's cool. She wasn't. Um, I mean, there's cool things about that, other that, don't have to do with neglect. But there's obviously, yeah. like, she was obviously, yeah, living her non-traditional life. life in a, a lot of ways. Yeah. And having a lot of relationships and having a open marriage. But obviously that didn't, yeah, that's something that we can't know, like, how that affected everyone. The kids and her husband yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, we don't know what he was doing, too, so whatever. It's just cool because we're talking about, like, 1920. 20. And yeah. it's, it's, like... Yeah, these people were ahead of their time in many ways. It just is their time, you know? You're right. It is their time. But they were not the typical people. They just they didn't live, like, they lived yeah. really crazy lives in a lot of right. senses. It's, like, easy not just to like, be queered out. <laughs> no, I don't mean about that. I mean, in some places. But I don't mean about that. I'm not talking about her, like, sexuality as much as, or, like, sexual preferences as much as just overall, like, her life is quite tragic on a lot of levels and just really disrupted and really intense and then also you have like this non-traditional 
sex life and that's and like vi- another aspect just well, in a crazy life if you just look at it like. yeah just seeing like a representation of a woman's life from the 1920s yeah. where it's so independently driven yeah and it's not like domestically right. oriented right which is what i mean by like yeah. non-traditional and right. unusual just because like she's alone a lot of the times or with other partners who aren't her husband or you know not in a good way all the time because she's alone in moscow like starving but i just mean yeah she's a a singular figure in a lot of yeah. ways, um, yeah. which is cool. It is, and, it is cool, yeah. And sometimes it feels like you don't, we don't know so many of those figures, or they're not famous, or they don't have children, or there's just something like different about the situation that feels like it probably it, like occupies a lot of people's uh, people who study her probably like spend time in these things because there's a lot of things that seem like contradictory or something because she's like well just the basically the fact that you like we could question her ethics or something or just like problematic she's not like a hero she's not like the the gay hero or like i mean you should never like reduce anyone to those things but she has yeah a lot of questionable moments i feel like yeah yeah with her all of her various roles because, like, as a poet, she's renowned, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's not our job to judge the dead. <laughs> well, that's the episode. Thank you for listening. Have a very happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy 2019. Yeah. Wow. Happy New Year. Happy New Life. Locked up. I'm just going to read the poem. <laughs> um, please consider this new year making <laughs> new She's you, in Russia. New pledge. New you, new pledge. Making She's in Russia one of the things that you subscribe to paying for every month and then forget about. Just consider it. <laughs> just consider it. A dollar. It only will take you maybe like a minute and a half and then you never have to think about it again. I think a little longer to add in the credit card information. Not if you have a password manager. As you should. I don't... Okay. Necessarily think that password managers need to contain credit card information. But regardless, don't distract it. Your goal is ahead of you. Which is that... Password managers have all the information in them already. Tisk tisk. Which is that, yeah, you can um, contribute any amount that you so choose. And we would really appreciate that monthly donation to help us do cool things like in the new year. travel around and do new things this year with sir if you love sir you miss sir. sir sir's here to stay for now <laughs> as we move towards two <laughs> at years at least until june 20th that's because that's when we that's paid psychological for yeah mental. and we've already paid for the soundcloud hosting so we might as well oh, use i didn't it. know that um no, don't make people think it sounds so unstable. Anyway, what else do you have to say? Follow I mean, us. two years is a good amount of time. Smith. <laughs> Smith is breaking up with me on air. <laughs> Go ahead, Smith. Uh, follow follow us, us on Twitter and Telegram at She's in Russia. And subscribe so- to our monthly image-based newsletter at She's in Russia.com. And if you want to call in, you know how to do that. Go to the website. Yeah, that does isn't on the website anymore, but yeah. Oh, it's not? I don't, Why not? I don't think so. You I took did. away the spinning phone? I think so, yeah. Why? Loaded slower? Because we don't do call-in anymore. 
Have you not noticed it's been like four months since we've but, done that? But that's because nobody called but, in. But yeah. So why like waste energy on that and like pretending like people do it if they well, don't do it? How is it a waste it? of energy if it's just on the website? That because it's like a dead appendage. It's like appendage that has gangrene. I disagree with you. People, things can well, passively Well, then you exist. can become the... Um, well, you should put it back on the Site master. Leslie site master. Bitch. <laughs> you know I don't know how to be a site master. You could. It's really easy. Well, you should put it that the back. word for it? Webmaster, Jesus. Okay, goodbye. Bye. We're going on our stolid apology tour in the springtime. So if you'd like to buy tickets, we'll be in a city near you.